First Samuel seventeen. First Samuel chapter seventeen. Starting this month in October, in the next few weeks, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at some classics, I like to call them, Bible stories that uh, are, are classic Bible stories uh, that are some of the most famous Bible stories that uh, some of you probably know uh, by heart, and you may have heard them uh, many times, but they're stories that are good for us, I think, to look at. Uh, most of these stories, I think, that I'll be preaching on over the last, or over the next few weeks, I should say, are stories that I do not believe that I have preached on since I have become pastor here. Uh, a lot of these stories are, are, are good stories, but I just haven't preached on them. And so I wanted to take the next few weeks just to look at some classic stories and be reminded of some, of some things that perhaps you have, you have read before, but stories that, that have a good impact, that are, that are good for us to uh, refresh ourselves with. First Samuel chapter 17. I would love to read the whole chapter and preach through it verse by verse, but I will not do that to you today. Uh, so we will kind of be skipping around a little bit, but I do encourage you to read all of 1 Samuel 17 if you have a chance to. I would also encourage you to read chapter 16 and on into chapter 18 too if you get a chance so you can have a little context about what is going on here in this story. Now today's classic Bible story is David and Goliath. Now this has got to be probably one of the most well-known Bible stories in the Bible. I don't know that there's any way to, uh, to qualify that, but I would assume as Bible stories go, there are a few that come to mind, my mind instantly uh, when I think of, of Bible stories. There are a few that, remember, that I remember, uh, stories like Noah and the Ark, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, just to name a few. Probably for many of you, if not all of you, uh, those stories may ring a bell, at least some of them. And these are stories that, Lord willing, over the next few weeks we will be uh, talking about. Uh, but David and Goliath is a story that every time I think about it, it is beneficial to me. It is helpful to me uh, because of what David is up against. He is up against a giant. Here is little David, just a youth. We don't know how old he is, possibly a teenager at the time. Uh, but it's the ultimate story of, 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 boy, the odds are stacked up against one person, uh, but throughout all of the odds, little David, the one that no one expected to win, ended up being victorious. I'm sorry if I ruined it for you, I, uh, but, but that's, you see the end of the story that we're going to get to today. So, let's pray, and we'll jump into the text. Father God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for this story, and I pray that you help us not to tune it out. Maybe some of us have heard it a hundred times. Maybe we've read it a thousand times, dear Lord, but your word is good to us, and maybe we need to hear it today, and that's why you brought us here. It's why you got me preaching it. So I pray that as we look at your word, that you'll help us to grow from it. Maybe just what we need to hear. Maybe some of us are facing giants in our lives, dear Lord. I pray that you would help us to trust you and have the faith and the boldness to stand up for you uh, and stand up to our giants, dear Lord, just as David did in this story. So I pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross. Let me preach and teach in a way that's going to be uh, beneficial to you this morning, and I pray that you just would help us to, to, to give you our complete attention, to not be distracted, uh, and don't let the devil get our mind on what we're going to be doing this week or this afternoon, but help us to be focused on you and your word. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Now, 
In this story, back in the time of David, uh, David was going to be king of Israel eventually. At this point in time in Israel's history, there is a man by the name of Saul who is the king of Israel. Not to be confused with Saul of the New Testament that eventually became known as Paul. This is a different Saul. Hundreds of years before, there was a man named Saul, and he was the first king of the nation of Israel. Uh, The nation of Israel were set apart by God. They were chosen by God, and they wanted to be like the other nations. They said, oh, give us a king. We want to be like everybody else. And so God, he, he listened to their request, and he allowed the Israelites to have a king. And the first king that was appointed to them was King Saul. And King Saul turned out to be a a, a disobedient king. He didn't listen to what God had told him. And he kind of tried to make it seem like, Oh, God, well, I was doing the things that I did for good. Uh, But God knew better than that. He knew Saul's heart was in the wrong place. And so God said, Look, the kingship is going to be taken from Saul and is going to be put uh, on someone else. That someone else was going to be David. Now, David was the son of a man named Jesse. Now, Samuel who we read about in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Samuel uh, was a servant of the Lord, and and God had sent him to the house of Jesse to find this one who was going to be king and to anoint the one who was eventually going to be king. Now, now, uh, Samuel went to Jesse's house, and Samuel had many sons, and the first son came. I believe his name was Eliab. He was the oldest son, and he was a, he was a strapping young lad. He was a good-looking guy. Uh, the text tells us that Samuel's eye was drawn to him, that he looked like he was the kind of guy who was going to fill the role as king. And Samuel said, this guy, he's got to be the one. He looks like a king. And God said, nope, that's not the one I've chosen. And Samuel began to go down all of Jesse's sons, from the oldest to the youngest. And every time one would come, Samuel would say, this one, he's, he's got to be the one. And God told him in those, in, in, in those passages in the Bible, God said, look, uh, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And even though the rest of the ones that Samuel looked at, the sons of Jesse, looked like they may have been the one to fulfill the part, he went all the way down through all of them. And he said, Well, none of these are the one that God appointed. Jesse, do you have any other sons? And he said, well, I got one more. He's out tending the sheep. Little David, he was the shepherd, the youngest of the bunch. And Samuel said, well, let's check him out. And lo and behold, here come little David. He was handsome, the Bible says. I like to to think of him as the pretty boy. That's kind of the impression I get as I read about David and what his brothers thought about him, as you will see in 1 Samuel 17. He was a little pretty boy. He was a young boy. He just, he just had the little job of tending to sheep. He wasn't of any significance. And God said, that's the one. That's the one who's going to be the king of Israel. And that's how we are introduced to David in the Bible. That's how we figure out who David is. And eventually David will play a, a, an important role in God's plan. And David will eventually be king. And even though earlier God had chosen David and he was anointed as king, he wouldn't take his position to be the king of Israel for quite some time. In the meantime, though, he ended up serving in Saul's court. He ended up playing music for Saul because Saul had turned away from the Lord and he was disobedient and God had allowed an evil spirit to come and to torment Saul. And the one thing that was comforting to Saul was that someone would come and play music and lo and behold, it was David. 
And so we see this tie-in between David and Saul, between the king who is and the king who will be. And here we are in Psalm, or excuse me, in First Samuel, chapter seventeen, verse one. Now we will skip over a few different verses today, so we'll read a few parts. I'll skip a few verses just for time's sake. We'll start in verse one, though, if you would like to follow along. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Sokah in Judah, and camped between Sokah and Azekah and Ephesadimim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites uh, were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. So here the scene is set for us in this wonderful story. Uh, there is war between the Philistines and God's people of Israel. <clears throat> and they are in battle formation and they've come out and they're standing uh, one on each side of this ravine that is in between them. And lo and behold, here comes this Philistine giant out. He is a champion, the Bible says, a champion from Gath and his name was Goliath. Now, some of your translations may have different language than mine. Mine has it in modern terms as far as his height and the weight of his armor and his weapons and things that he had. Uh, some of your translations uh, may say six cubits in a span. Well, I'll tell you what six cubits in a span is. A cubit is the measurement from your elbow to the tip of your finger. Now, on most people, on average, that's about 18 inches, give or take a few inches. That's a cubit. You see the, the term cubit used in measurement on a few different occasions in the Bible, another one being Noah building the ark. So when you read the word cubit in your Bible, if your Bible uses that term, you can know the measurement is between your elbow and the tip of your finger, typically about 18 inches. Now, the span of your hand, when it says six cubits and a span, a span is from the, the edge of your hand to the tip of your middle finger. Now, that's, that's about nine inches in most cases. That's a span. And so you can get a little bit of a measurement there to know uh, what kind of uh, uh, measurements that we're talking about here. Now, if you figure that up, on average, if a cubit is 18 inches and a span is nine inches, you come up with a measurement in today's uh, measurements is about nine foot nine inches, give or take. We don't know exactly how tall Goliath was, but it is safe to say that he was between nine and ten feet tall. Now, can you imagine seeing such a giant in front of you? To give you an idea of the height of nine to ten foot tall, Goliath would not have been able to have stood in this room. He would have probably been bumping his head. He would have had to have ducked. That's probably three or four foot taller than most of us and about three times taller than Jerry. So that gives you an idea of just how tall that Goliath 
was. He was a big, strong man. Even our tallest basketball players, uh, the likes of Yao Ming, uh, would still be a couple of feet shorter uh, than Goliath was. He was so big that his armor weighed a ton, about 125 pounds. Now, some of your translations may say 500 shekels, or excuse me, 5,000 shekels, but that really doesn't tell us a whole lot in our measurement because we don't know what a shekel is. A shekel weighs about a quarter of an ounce. It would take four shekels to weigh an ounce, and uh, Goliath's armor weighed 5,000 shekels. That's approximately 125 pounds. That's only just a little bit more than what I weigh. So Goliath was a big, strong man with massive armor, and the shaft of his spear was a weaver's beam. Now, most of us, some of you at least, or I didn't know what a weaver's beam was. Now, a weaver will use a loom to, to weave uh, the different fabrics or whatever it is through that loom. And at the top of the loom and at the bottom of the loom is a big, strong, sturdy beam. It has to be because sometimes a weaver uh, is looming a big, heavy blanket or something. The threads have to be uh, tight. And as each thread gets woven in there, it gets heavier and heavier and there's more tension. And so a weaver's beam has to be very strong. And here was the, the spear that Goliath was using, and it was a weaver's beam that was the shaft of it. And then there was a 15-pound spear tip on the end of that. Can you imagine a man who is uh, nine and a half foot tall, let's say, with the strength that he must have had and the weight of the weaver's beam and the spear tip, could you imagine the force that would be coming toward you? Could you imagine standing facing such a giant with such armor and such strength? It would be a scary thing, and it was scary for the people of Israel. Let's read a little further. In verse 8, he stood and shouted to the Israelite, excuse me, he stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost courage and were terrified. Now, we see a little bit about Saul's character here, I believe, in these texts. Now, Saul was the king and the leader of the people of Israel. He should have been there at the forefront standing up to this Philistine. He is coming out. He is defying God, as David will tell us in the verses to come, because he's coming out calling on the, on the army of Israel saying, Who's going to stand up to me? Who's going to come and stand up to me? I am David, uh, uh, Goliath. I am the champion. I am the giant. Look at me. Look at the armor I'm wearing. Look at how tall and how big I am. Send a man out to face me. Let somebody come man up and take me on. And Goliath would do this day after day. And everyone was terrified. Everyone was afraid of this giant that was before them. Even King Saul, who should have been one, who should have been standing up saying, Look, we are going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to lead you in this battle, and God is going to deliver us. The king 
should have been the one doing this. But the king, like all the other Israelites in the battle formation, were terrified at the giant that was before them. Now eventually, David's father is going to send him to check on his brothers. Now David's brothers were in the battle formation. They were, they were there with Saul uh, through this battle that was not taking place, but uh, through this kind of standoff, I should say, that was taking place between the Philistines and the Israelites. And so eventually, David's father sends him to check on his brothers. Uh, let's pick up in verse uh, 22. Uh, David took some supplies before we start reading. He was taking some supplies to give them uh, to his brother. In verse 22, David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. <clears throat> when all the Israelite men saw Goliath, uh, they retreated from him terrified. So David has entered into the scene here because David's father, Jesse, had sent him with supplies. He had sent him with some different food and things and said, go take this to your brother, see how things are working out. Now David, let's not forget, is a young man still at this point. He is a, uh, a shepherd. He is one that tends to sheep. And uh, he goes out, and when he takes his brother's lunch, he witnesses this giant who's coming out, this giant who's coming uh, and challenging the Israelites. And here we are reminded, the giant's still coming out, and the Israelites are still terrified. Nobody is willing to step up. The, the Philistine giant, Goliath, is looking for a challenger. He's looking for one who he can fight, one who will stand up to him, and one who in his mind he is going to destroy. And so he's wanting this to take place. He's wanting a challenger to come. No one has come. But when David takes lunch to his brothers, he sees what's taking place here. Let's read on a little further in verse 26. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now David comes in here, little David, the shepherd. He comes in there taking lunch to his brothers, and here's this giant, and he said, wait a minute. What's going to happen to the one that kills him? And who is this guy? This uncircumcised Philistine guy who's coming out defying the armies of the living God. David got it. David was fired up. He was saying, what's going on here? Everybody's just standing around doing nothing. And day after day, this guy's coming out. He's challenging God. What is going on here? Who is this one who's defiling God's army? Let's read a little further. Verse 27. The people told him about the offer, concluding that is what will be done uh, for the man who kills him. In verse 28. David's oldest brother Eliab listened as he spoke to the men and became angry with him. Why did you come down here, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. 
What have I done now, protested David. It was just a question. Now, David was asking about what was going to be done for the one who had killed uh, the giant. They had told him in the verses earlier, we didn't read him, that everybody in that man's family was going to be blessed. The king was going to take care of him, essentially. And David had asked the question, and isn't it interesting his response here? This seems like a total, like, big brother, little brother response here. What are you doing here? You didn't really come to bring us food. You come to snoop around and see what was going on. You just meddled. And then he took a jab at him. And who did you leave those few little sheep with? He's kind of he making fun of David because he's just a little shepherd boy. Shouldn't you be back home with these sheep? And David, being a little brother, says, Well, geez, what did I do? I just ask a question. Why are, you, why are you jumping all over me? Now, David was fired up about what was going on, and nobody else seemed to be fired up. All his brothers were worried about was making fun of their brother. Uh, and Saul, the king, the leader of the Israelites, he should have been the one who should have been at the forefront. And everybody was afraid except for David, the least likely person who should have been willing to stand up and want to fight against this giant who was coming against the army of God was David. But it seemed like he was the only one that wanted to take a stand for the Lord at all. Let's read a little further in verse 33. But Saul replied, You can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was young. Now, David is wanting to go and fight this giant. He's ready to go take him on. But the king says, you can't fight him. Who are you to go fight this guy? This guy is big. He's strong. He's got lots of armor. He's been training his whole life. Who are you, a little young shepherd boy, to go and face this giant? So Saul is trying to talk him out of it. Isn't that something? Uh, the king, again, should have been the one at the forefront. Here's a man who's finally stepped up to the challenge of Goliath, and Saul is saying, look, you can't go take this guy on. All the odds were against David. The situation was bleak. There was no way in David's own power that he would ever be able to take on such a giant. Let's read a little further. In verse 34, David answered Saul, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Now here we have a good, a good passage here that tells us why David was so bold, why he was not afraid, because he knew that the Lord was with him. That's what makes this story beautiful. That's what takes someone who is a normal a young boy, in the case of David, and allows him to defeat a giant. It was not because of David's power. It was because the Lord was with him. David said, this giant is nothing to me. This filthy Philistine who comes out and mocks God, who defiles the armies of God, who comes out every day making a mockery of these armies of the living God, this is nothing to me. David said, I tend my father's sheep. And when I'm tending the sheep, there are animals that come and attack the sheep. There are bears, there are lions. Now bears and lions, think about this for a second. None of us 
probably, I would assume, want to face a bear or a lion, they will destroy you. Now, there was a movie I watched a few years ago. I can't even remember the, the, the name of it now. But there was this massive battle at the beginning. This giant bear attacked uh, this guy who was in the woods, and it was just a ferocious battle. And you can imagine what it would be like to face a bear or to face a lion. But David said, look, when I face these enemies, when I face these beasts that came against me, I didn't fear them. I went up against them. I got the lamb back. Now, isn't that a beautiful language there? that the shepherd went after the lamb. I can't help but think about Jesus there. Even if there's one sheep that goes astray, the shepherd is going to go after the sheep. Isn't that beautiful that Jesus did that for us? I think David's kind of foreshadowing there a little bit about what Jesus would do for us. He would take the lamb out of the beast's mouth. He would bring the lamb from sure destruction and deliver them. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us on the cross. He takes us from being destroyed by the enemy that is Satan, and he pulls us from the enemy's mouth. But not only that, the paws of the lion and the bear weren't even able to destroy uh, David because the power of God was with him. And not only did he rescue the lamb, but he also destroyed uh, the lion or the bear with his bare hands. So David says, I got this. He said, the Lord was with me when I took on the lion and the bear. What is a Philistine? He is nothing to me. I am trusting in the Lord and I am going to battle against this Philistine. And Saul said, all right then, may the Lord be with you. So Saul, uh, thinking worldly, not really thinking about trusting in the Lord, he decides he wants to put a bunch of armor on him. He puts all this big, heavy armor on, on, on David, but it's, it's of no use. It's too heavy. David says, I'm not used to this. I can't wear this stuff. I can't even move in all of this armor. So David decides he's going to, to, to take on the giant in a way that he knows how to take on the giant. He goes down to uh, this wadi or this stream, this brook, and he uh, collects five stones from it. He takes this sling that he has and he takes these five stones and that's all that David needs. He is prepared uh, for battle. Verse 42. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He's just a pretty boy. The giant was saying, really? Really? He, he was offended that they would even send... Such a, such a specimen out there to compete against him. He, he, he couldn't believe it. Here was David, this pretty boy, and he was coming out with no armor on, just in his normal everyday clothes, no weapon that could be seen, no big sword strapped on his back, no shield that he was holding. And here comes David out to stand before Goliath for 40 days. Day and night, it says, Goliath had come out and he had challenged the men of Israel. And no one would accept his challenge. And here finally was David, a shepherd boy with no armor and no weapons except for a sling. And he was standing up against a giant. Let's read a little further. Verse 43. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beast. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a dagger, spear, and sword, but I come against you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel's armies. You have defiled him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. 
Today I'll strike you down, cut your head off, and give the corpses of the Philistine of the Philistines' camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will hand you over to us. So isn't this, isn't this, isn't this awesome to think about? You've got David, the little guy over here. You've got this big giant. They're just kind of yapping at each other. The Philistines talking big and stuff. I'm fisting to show you what's what. I'm fisting to destroy you, little guy. I'm fisting to let you have it. And David gives it right back to him. Let me tell you, I'm about to destroy you. I don't care what you got. I don't care how big you are. I don't care what weapons you have. I am going to destroy you today by the power of God. God is going to hand you over. And when God hands you over to me and to us Israelites, everybody will know that God is God. Everybody will know that your gods are nothing. The gods that you are calling out to, the gods that you praise are insignificant. They're non-existent. They're unpowerful. God is about to show everyone in the world today who he is. So David gets him, gives it back to him. So the battle is about to begin. Let's read on a little further. Verse 48. When the Philistine started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Even though David had no sword, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Against all odds, here was David standing against a giant who was much stronger, who was much bigger than him, who was much better equipped than him, who had all the armor that you could imagine on. And here David, with one shot, took out a giant because he trusted in the Lord. This is a good story for us because there are many giants that we face in our life. Now, we may not be called out to the battle lines day after day for 40 days a night. We probably don't have someone standing outside in our front yard every morning when we wake out wanting us to come out so they can beat us down, although that may be the case for some. That may be the case for children in school, those bullies who are standing over them. There are definitely giants in our life, though, that we face. And when I say giants, I don't necessarily mean people. Although it could be people, it could also be different situations that we face. Things that seem impossible. Things that are too big for us to come against. Things that we are afraid of. Things that we feel like will destroy us, that will overcome us, that will overtake us. And there's no way for us to stand up to these things or these people in our lives. But we can stand up to situations in our life, to people in our life, to giants in our life. Because the same God that gave David the power to stand up against Goliath is the same God that gives you and I the power to stand up against our giants. What is it in your life that you're afraid of? What is it in your life that's been uh, standing over you, so to speak, for the last few days, weeks, months? Just like Goliath come out every day and the Israelites were terrified, what is it in your life that you are terrified about? 
that you see that there's no light at the end of the tunnel, that you see that there's no way for things to work out, for you to come out ahead and for you to win in this situation. There might be something different for all of us. Perhaps you're in a season in your life where you're doing well and those giants aren't there. But I'll tell you, they'll be back. The giants always come back. Those things that it looked like it's impossible for us to stand up to, to overcome, those things always come back. And we don't defeat those things on our own strength. We don't defeat those things by, by getting armored up, so to speak, uh, in a worldly sense. We defeat those things by the very power of God. We defeat those things because we trust in the Lord. We defeat those things because we say, I'm going to stand up for what is right. I'm going to stand up for the Lord. In a world where nobody else wants to stand up, in a world where everybody else may be defiling God, may be coming against God, may be coming against God's people, and everybody else is taking a step back, I am going to take a stand for the Lord because I trust Him. And I know that He can deliver me from whatever situation. Perhaps more of us as Christians need to have a heart and an attitude a little more like David. Perhaps there are times in our life where we kind of shrink back. When the culture may be the giant that's coming against us. When the culture is, is mocking Christianity and mocking Jesus Christ and coming against us. Are there times where we take a stand and say, No, I love the Lord and I will live for Him and I will stand for Him? Or are we like Saul and the rest of the Israelites and we fall back and we're afraid? Perhaps as Christians as a whole, we need to take an attitude like David said and say, you know what, I'm standing up for the Lord. I don't know what giants that you're facing in your life. I don't know what situation is too big for you. And it may very well be too big for you. But I can promise you it's not too big for the Lord. And if you trust in the Lord with the same faith that David had and say, you know what, I'm going to stand up by the power of God and the strength of God. I'm not going to trust in any of my abilities and anything that I can do. I'm going to trust in the Lord alone. And when we do that, you may be pleased to find that you have a result similar to what David had, that you are able to face giants, not on your own strength, but on the strength of God. If you're trusting in your own strength today, I want to tell you it's not going to work. You need to trust in the strength that David trusted in, and that is the strength of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words today. I thank you for uh, just letting us see this beautiful story unfold of how, of how your servant David, God, he, he, was, he was ready to stand up for you, and I pray that you would help us to do the same, God. I don't know what everybody's got going on in their life. There may be struggles. There may be things in their heart. There may be people that are giving them hard times. There may be a sickness that they're facing. There may be something going on at work, and it just seems so bad, dear Lord, like there's surely defeat on the horizon and there's no hope. But God, I pray that you help them to know this morning that there's hope in you. And God, I pray that you help us to know this morning that just as David stood up to protect his sheep, that God, you sent your son to die to protect your sheep, dear Lord. God, just as we were in the, in the mouth of the, of, the, of the enemy, the one that was trying to destroy us, and Satan, dear Lord, Jesus came and snatched us out. He delivered us, God, from the enemy. If we will trust him, we will follow him, God. Let us know the voice of the good shepherd in Jesus. God, I pray that as we read your word, as we hear it preached to us, God, that we would hear your voice and that we would follow the good shepherd in Jesus Christ, God. That Jesus came for us to deliver us, to protect us, to bring us from the, the hands of the enemy, dear Lord, so that we could be delivered. God, I pray that if there's one in this room that's never trusted in Jesus Christ, that they can know that he's here to save them. 
And God, that they would put their faith and trust in Him and that they would follow Him as Your Word commands. God, whatever the struggles may be, whatever the things that seem insurmountable in our life, God, don't let us get it down. Don't let it get us down, dear Lord. Don't let the worries and the fears of what's before us uh, just cause us to retreat, dear Lord, as the Israelites did and as Saul did. God, don't let us live in terror. That is of the enemy, God. You give us victory. You don't, you don't call us to, to shrink back in fear. So, God, I pray that we would stand boldly in you, just as David did. And I pray, God, whatever giants may be on these people that are here today, God, that you would just help them to defeat them, that you'd give them the strength and the courage and the confidence that they need, dear Lord, to stand up by your word, by your power, by the strength and the victory that comes through Jesus Christ, to know, God, that they are victorious over the enemy. So, God, I pray that you deliver them from whatever giants they may be against, to let them use your words, let these words come to their mind, God, that they can trust in you no matter what they're going through. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.